Well, give the dog a treat and color code your underwear. You're listening to the Action Figure Blues podcast, episode number 47, for the week of Wednesday, January 16th, 2013. I'm John, and with me tonight are... Adam and Ben. This episode is being brought to you by ShelfLife.net and ActionFigureBlues.com. Tonight, our Toy of the Week is the return of Rapid Fire Reviews, and we'll be joined by James Chilcott from ShelfLife.net to discuss managing your collection. y'all doing very well thank you very adam? good i'm good well good so what what have you been up to this week adam uh i've been making stuff with plastamake uh fighting crime around the house in my new costumes and other than that uh, <laughs> not too much first week back at work for the year this is this is my second week back and it was the first full week back so um you have my sympathy yeah i'm still struggling because i'm on holidays yeah. <laughs> I have one day left. No, well, that's not so bad then. Yeah, the, the, the first week for us was only like three days. It was Wednesday through Friday, and then this week's just drug on and on and on. Yes, that's why whenever you come back from holidays, you should always come back midweek, so it doesn't come as much of a you know, it's not as big a shock to the system. Yeah. So, what have you been up to though this week then, Ben? If you've been off and. Um, it's been about a billion degrees uh, in Australia. Um, on, a, on a serious note, we've got some pretty serious fires happening that um, crews seem to be keeping under control, but there's um, fires all over the country at the moment, some of them deliberately lit, which is um, very sad. But it's been very, very hot, and uh, even on those days where you do go outside, um, we had a, a fire to the north uh, probably about... Uh, about 60 miles or about sort of 90-odd kilometres to the north of us, but um, the wind actually blew the smoke down, so there was this sort of orangey-grey haze hanging in the sky. So even when we were outside, it was pretty miserable and you could smell it. But, um, but on a more positive note, I did actually get my act together the last few days and got out all my DC Universe classics and cleared out a bookcase and started actually getting them out on display for the first time in ages. So that's been pretty cool. And admit it, you had them all out on the floor, and you were. I did. Down there. I actually did. I could have done like a a DC Universe Classics Angel if I, uh, you know, if I wanted to. I didn't realize just how many figures they've done until you actually get out these plastic tubs and start trying to put them in piles and organize them. So but that's, the, that's biggest, the worst part. Well, I actually have a Ziploc bag that I always put their um, their accessories in, and most of the time I sat there scratching my head going, you know, now whose staff is this and, and who does this belong to? And it was a real pain. That's half the reason that I do reviews is just so I can take pictures of stuff when I get it so I know later on, <laughs> oh, okay, I got a picture of that. Yes, good idea, good idea. <laughs> and what about you? How's your week been? Um, pretty good. I uh I changed the uh, front brakes on one of our cars last week, so. Uh, good on you. 
my weekend thing. Uh, a funny thing happened though. After the podcast, I, I was last week. I was sitting at my desk, and um, you know, it's kind of winter type weather here. My my nose was running a little bit, so I was I was kind of rubbing it, and um, I, that went on for a while. And then it, it was like that's really sticky. Apparently, my nose had been bleeding for a while. Oh, and, and my face was was covered in blood, so I had to go <laughs> clean that up. Didn't realize it until I looked down at my hand, and my hand was all red. And I was like, "Oh, wait a minute! <laughs> Isn't that supposed to happen in summer from the heat?" Um, it's just so dry here, you know, in the house. Uh, it's just a little drier than, than normal. So I think, dang, that was probably the issue. It all surprised those, me though. All those engineer chemicals that you you've put your fingers dipped in all day. I we don't deal a lot with chemicals at work. We we have an area, and I, I it's the room's marked off, and I don't go in there. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And so, well, let's take a look at some articulated news. I know we got a bunch to get through, so let's get going. Now you can have your own special Captain Planet adventure with your favorite planeteers. There's Wheeler, who has the power of fire, and the daring Linka with the power of wind. You can even use the planeteers' eco cycle, and your own power rings will let you call Captain Planet to the rescue and save the Earth. Captain Planet and the Planeteers, now available at Kmart. Well, before we get to the main features, we like to start each episode with a little bit of news. Articulated news is where we discuss the latest events and announcements in the toys and collectible world. We're not going to be a comprehensive news service. You know, this would go on for days. These are just things that kind of popped up that caught our eye during the week. And Ben, you got the first little bits of news, so what do you got? Yeah, thanks, John. Uh, I got very excited during the week when I received uh, an email from Sideshow Collectibles. Uh, Sideshow are very, very good at keeping you up to date via, um, you know, the various social media. They they really do have a, a pretty good um, an announcement sort of service. And I was very excited when I saw their email and saw the word Star Wars Chewbacca. And oh, sorry, Chewbacca, and uh, clicked on it with some uh, fervor, and was disappointed um, to find out that it's a sneak peek at the new sideshow uh, premium format statue. Now, look, I'm not disappointed with the actual statue; it's actually really impressive to look at. Uh, fits in well with their other series, etc. I mean, it's nicely done. It's it's sort of based on you know one of those famous um, promo shots they did of, uh, of Chewbacca, but. The reason why I was so disappointed is I actually thought that this was the next announcement in the Hot Toys series. Um, We've been waiting for some time now to find out uh, what Hot Toys are doing. But anyway, so uh, Chewbacca's up in the premium format statue line. Um, Yeah, it does look pretty good. It's a a decent-sized statue. I don't know that there's um, any exclusives to go with it, Um, but... uh, yeah, not too bad. I expect being a premium format statue and uh, just by his stature that this um, this would be a serious uh, scale. Um, he's probably, be, you know, almost, oh, he'd have to be at least sort of 20 inches tall. So, yeah, not a bad looking piece. You know, I, I like the fact that they, that he looks like Chewbacca. A lot of times people tend to bulk him up a little more than he should be. Yeah. You know, he's actually quite yeah. thin. Yeah, I mean, Peter Mayhew is not exactly a, a well-built fellow. He just was particularly tall, so nicely done. 
Um, moving right along, there was an announcement from Pop Culture Shock, uh, the guys that, uh, amongst other things, are making the Mortal Kombat um, statues, that they are actually announcing uh, a change to their business model and that they're going direct to collector. Um, I thought that was actually pretty interesting. I mean, we've talked about the ups and downs of the market over sort of the last year or so and seen different things happening. And so now Pop Culture Shock won't actually distribute through um, those sort of third-party businesses. I mean, Sideshow in particular are very good at distributing other people's products. Um such as Hot Toys and Bowen Designs, etc. But now Pop Culture Shock are taking on that model that's very similar to what um, Maddie Collector are doing and making products that are um, shipped directly from them to the collector. And, uh, yeah, I think that's actually a pretty interesting announcement. I wonder if this is sort of the start of uh, the future, I guess. I hope it's not. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that they have the business sense to pull this off, but I probably shouldn't say that on this. <laughs> but uh, well, I, you know, I, I we we actually red carded one of their statues, so I'm kind of yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, if you're yeah. gonna have a if you have a great product, it'd be okay. But to have a mediocre product, I don't know that that's gonna be the best way to do it. Yeah, certainly one to keep an eye on. I mean, Maddie Collector, you know, have uh, quite the resources behind them, and they've had all sorts of issues, particularly with Digital River. Um, and uh, I think they've also had trouble meeting their quotas. And I mean, we're talking about you know pop culture products based on some of the the world's most famous superheroes. Um, then again, video games have a pretty big support uh, behind them. So all right, so I think it's something we'll just keep an eye on and see where it goes. Um, in further news, we got some more character announcements from the Playmates TMNT line, um, which seems to be moving on quite nicely. I think they're certainly uh, structuring the releases in a pretty, um, rather pretty timely fashion. We're getting a, a nice um, sort of continuous stream of characters. And um, for those people who aren't actually watching the new cartoon, uh, I can't recommend it uh, highly enough. The new Nickelodeon show is just fantastic. Um, I, I really do enjoy it. They've sort of got a uh, – there's a bit of a, a tip of the hat to the original animated series that was quite goofy, but at the same time they realise that that's probably not something that's going to work today. So um, they have made it a, a little more serious. But um, so anyway, some of the new characters that we'll be looking at are the Rat King, uh, Leatherhead, um, Cockroach, Spider Bites, and a seven pack of Mouses, which I think is a very cool idea. Um, quite often, things like Mouses were just like a pack in with other characters, so getting a, a dedicated uh, set is is pretty cool. And um, I guess a couple of questions I have is uh, if you've actually seen the episode with Leatherhead, um, the crocodile or, or the alligator, should I say? He's actually an enormous figure. Um, he really is gigantic in, in the show. So it'll be interesting to see just how big they actually make him because um, uh, Dog Pound uh, is another character who is quite large and, and he sort of scales up reasonably well, but Leatherhead is actually really quite large. So, so yeah, I still haven't pulled the, the trigger on these figures, but I, I'm very, very close. I think if I can sort of find the, the first couple of waves as a um, you know a group listing on eBay, I might just do it. They uh, have been just – I haven't seen anybody restock them here in a while, or the Walmarts at least that I go to haven't restocked them in a while. Yeah. Uh, I tried to look at one twice or us the other day when I was there, but they are flying off the shelves here for sure. Adam, what, what – uh, you're bringing us some Lego goodness, and I can't wait to hear some of this. So, yeah, 
so um, those of us that have uh, been around LEGO for a while know that, you know, about, what, 15 years ago, we got um, LEGO Mindstorms, and then I guess it was, what, about five years-ish ago, we got that replaced by LEGO NXT, or Next, and it looks like um, they've now announced the successor of that as EV3. And I assume that we're going to be pronouncing that Eve or something. <laughs> um, but that got um, got made announced at uh, the CES in Las Vegas this week. Um, it'll be available second half of this year, and they reckon that the retail price or the recommended retail initially will be $350 US. Ouch. So that's clearly a bit of a step up from what NXT is going for at the moment, I think, as well. You'd want to be very, very dedicated. Yeah. yeah um, probably want to know whether I... or not it's backwards compatible as well, because otherwise you, you've got all your old Mindstorms or NXT. I don't know whether NXT and Mindstorms were that backwards compatible, but then you're basically just going to be swapping in a whole bunch of new gear and everything you had is, you know, time limited. Here in the U.S., there's a lot of uh, engineering and math programs for kids and competitions and stuff that use those, you know, to kind of raise awareness of technical paths kids can take, and they kind of use those as a basis. So do you think it's the sort of thing we might find that actually um, schools actually buy them? Yeah. Oh, I know they do. Yeah, they do. That's cool. Damn, I'm going back to school. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Wait, I get to go to school and play with Legos? Yeah, that'd be awesome. (laughs) That's right. And uh, the final thing that I saw this week, which was something a bit interesting, was um, a Mecha Whale PVC figure from Deep Deep Fried Figures. Um, (laughs) I haven't, you know, paid any real attention to Mecha Whale, the um, online comic, I believe it is. which is the source for this, but essentially this guy is a, a whale that's capable of communicating with people from the future. Uh, the, the series seems to be set in the future. And um, after advancing human society, aliens attack, and so they put mech suits on the, on the whales to help them fight aliens. <laughs> it's a great-looking figure. I mean, it seems to be um, something that was created by a, a sort of a, a designer, like a, a character designer, He's just sort of taken it that little bit further and, and had a toy manufactured. It's um it's impressive to look at. I mean, my only real concern is it's it's three and a half inches tall and has a retail price of forty five dollars. Yeah. It's a bit steep. That's um that's a lot of money for such a small figure. So I think you'd have to probably be a pretty big fan of uh of the series. Hmm. But at the same time you can pre order them from Big Bad Toy Store, so that's right. There must be a decent production run going. <laughs> well, I've got uh, a couple bits of news here. And first up, uh, some Star Trek goodness. They are showing off the neck diamond selection showing off the packages for the Enterprise B and D, which are the one from is it Star Trek uh, Generations, right? Would have been the B, and D was obviously the next generation Enterprise, which I... I've got a couple of these ships from back in the Playmates days that I really like them on. That that D is pretty pretty spiffy looking. So how big are these? Well, the one, trying to think. I, I've seen them, and, you know, I, they're maybe 18 inches long, I think. Oh, wow. I that's, guess, um, that's much bigger than I expected. 
they're pretty good size. They're they're like you know if you had a a desktop model of a, a ship, they're they're about yeah. that size. Okay, cool. And um, you actually get all the the lights and sound as well. Yeah, I I'm assuming they have a stand that you're just not seeing on the box. Yeah, yeah. That was actually going to be my next question. Is I hope they include a stand. Um, yeah, they're certainly Star Trek, um, well presented. Star Trek ships don't really you know sit down and land on the ground very well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, yeah, so they're not known for sort of deploying their um, landing gear and sitting down. Mm, cool. Yeah, I'm always excited to see Star Trek stuff. It always makes brings a smile to my face, especially <laughs> the Enterprise D. I, I really love the Enterprise D and was really sad when they flew it into the ground. Mm, that's right. I remember that. But, um, going on a little bit, uh, we saw the announcement of a new company, Titan uh, Merchandise.com, has a line of vinyl minifigures from Doctor Who. Looks like they've got the 11th Doctor, some Daleks. These are uh, blind box packaged. They're three inches tall. They look a little like um, the bodies look kind of like the mesets, but the heads Mm. are a little more sculpted out, at least on the Doctor figure. Pretty spiffy looking. Um, These things are just taking off, aren't they? The whole blind box thing. You know, I think it's that thrill of the hunt. I think so many people order other stuff online. You know, they order their their whole case of action figures that the collectors don't get that thrill of the hunt. And I think a lot of people miss that, and mm. I think that has some appeal. And you know, they're they're not they're not ten dollars for a three and three quarter figure. You know, you're normally looking three four dollars for one of these. So, um, you know, it's a little cheaper. Um, people, people do like I do, do an impulse buy on one, and then you're like, oh, I got one, I'll get two, I'll get three, and then you know, before long, you got to have them all. Yeah, and they're often I notice they're placed conveniently near the counter in in specialty stores, um, so that when you're you know picking up your stash of comics, they're just sort of sitting there staring right at you, and it's it's probably very easy to slip into a habit of just you know picking one up and adding it to your stash of comics every week. Yeah, yeah, they definitely have our number, I think, and have done mm. that on purpose. I, I really want an Ood, but that's just me. I <laughs> well, I think it was actually very clever that that somebody picked up the Doctor Who license because, um, I mean, occasionally you, you see a, a new license that's been picked up for something like this, and you think, well, you know, how long can they go for before they start getting you know to the the C and D list characters? But I mean, Doctor Who just has such a, a rich history of characters available that they should be if these are successful, they'll just go for years. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, they don't have a, a wide series, and, and you can always, I mean, the even just with the um, the Daleks, you know, you could have variations of them for a, a good time to come. You could have one of them in every mm. series and probably still not run out. Yeah, that's right. My, uh, my last bit of news here, uh, Hasbro announced something kind of unusual. They announced that they were canceling their Droid Factory line for the year, which was the line that uh, you'd get a figure and then a piece of uh, of something else. And this was going to replace their vintage collection, which they said, oh, we're canceling this, and then next year we'll have Droid Factory. It sounded like it was mainly due to costs uh, with including, you know, the extra pieces and and stuff. So they make it sound like these figures will make it out, but it sounds like they won't... uh, make it out probably on the same time frame that they originally planned. So we'll have to mm-hmm. see how this really infl- you know, influences Star Wars collecting because they, they haven't had the best distribution. So 
doing this, you know, they may even be worse this year than last. Mm-hmm. Kind of a, a sad little note. I mean, th- those droid factory things were kind of fun to have around. But Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that they just couldn't make this work. I, I would have thought if there was a, a line of action figures out there that could support something like this, it would be Star Wars. What I don't understand is they had to have had it costed out before they announced it. Yeah. So either either something massively changed in the the price structure, or they just didn't have the the store support for it. And I'm guessing maybe that was the 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 thing, but I don't know. Uh, maybe Disney has a a minimum profit margin in all products, and they just looked at it and said no. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, maybe they're trying to make smarter decisions, but you would have thought that would have been like internal to Hasbro rather than Disney. It would have been just more licensing than anything else. Mm. But, well, speaking of, of disappointments in the Star Wars universe, Adam, you've got our last little bit of news here. Well, I mean, we all know that there was a uh, petition put to the U.S. government about let's build a Death Star. Um, I think we were all kind of not really hoping for the best, but um, apparently the, the government have knocked it back saying that, you know, an estimated cost of, I think this is 850 quadrillion US dollars. Um, it's probably not feasible uh, given current fiscal climate. Um, so that's been knocked back. And uh, along with that, they've said, they've, there's a quote that, uh, the administration shares your desire for job creation and strong national defense, but a Death Star isn't on the horizon. The administration does not support blowing up planets. So I guess that that'll all change once you know they start colonizing Mars, which apparently is one of their their things for the next few years, isn't it? Yeah, it it is, but I don't think that I think they pretty much cut it because of money, which oh, is sad. Go. Yeah, there you I, go. I'm, I'm very pro space program, and uh, there's people in my household that disagree with me, but <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. I think it's actually quite interesting when um, apparently the White House accepts all petitions and responds to ones with over 25,000 signatures. And it makes you wonder if you've got this administration sitting around a room going through the latest petitions and going, okay, I think it's time we up it from 25,000 to 100,000. <laughs> just, just because they're completely underestimating um, pop culture fandom. Yeah, I mean, 25,000 is not many. Not not when you're no. talking Star Trek, Star Wars, etc., etc. But um, the other thing is, the thing I find that blows me out about this is, how the hell did they cost that up $850 quadrillion? I'm quite curious myself. I mean, do they literally hand it off to someone and go, go off and do some math? And then some poor guy's got to go to Google and type Death Star and try and get an idea of, um, you know, the scale of the Death Star and then work out the costing i mean yeah who knows yeah i don't know how you'd do that i I mean how much is it that implies that we know how to make you know um all the the various weaponry that goes with it right Mm. well we can work it out for that kind of cost we we do but we just don't tell anybody Uh, (laughs) now they know what a shame oh well Well, that wraps up our articulated news. We'll be right back with the dance of joy over Scott's second favorite uh, podcast game. Name that. Can I 
Well, now it's time for everybody's favorite podcast game, Name That. I'm known as Engineer Nerd on Twitter and over at TVandFilmToys.com. And every week I come on and I present an action figure sound or commercial sound, and you guys guess where it's from. So we'll take a listen to last week's sound right here. It's a real exciting place to be. A smiling ghost with glowing face has a secret hiding place, and that's not all. There's plenty more to see. So, gentlemen, did you have any guesses on this one? Uh, no, no. I'm, I'm having a shocker. I've got nothing really, but, you know, there's something <laughs> about a ghost or something, I think. So, I don't know. Caspery. <laughs> it, it, it's not Cas. It, it's not Casper, and the, the ghost was an important part of it. I, I was I was inspired by our discussions last week. This is a Weebles haunted house. Ah, uh, Weebles, Weebles again. It's too much Weebles. Yeah. I, I I know. I I liked Weebles. I had the Weeble uh, ranch. You know, ah, you're killing me. Ranch? <laughs> yeah, it had like a little ranch house and. <sighs> Well, anyway, after that spectacular, <laughs> spectacular sound, we better move on to this week's sound, um, which sounds a little something like this. In this amazing game, I had to find three keys, lay siege to the and defeat the enemy within. Each move was a challenge. The computer kept track, giving me secret information, pictures, sounds, surprises. Then, ahead of my opponent, I made my move. The battle was joined, and I was victorious. And just because there's some people out there that like to hear it twice, we will play it one more time. In this amazing game, I had to find three keys, lay siege to the and defeat the enemy within. Each move was a challenge. The computer kept track, giving me secret information, pictures, sounds, surprises. Then, ahead of my opponent, I made my move. The battle was joined, and I was victorious. As always, if you got a guess, come on over to the forum and make a guess at afbforum.com. Um, and you can come over there and go onto the thread and play the picture version that I have every Tuesday and Thursday at uh, tvandfilmtoys.com. We're, we're having some struggling right now with a couple of them, so uh, <laughs> any help on the picture ones that you could come over and give, that would be help. much appreciated because I think help. everybody's a little help. frustrated. So, For the love of Chrome, help. <laughs> <laughs> so coming up next, we got the Toy of the Week. Big Jim's World of Adventure starring Big Josh with Talking Cat Pack. Let's make camp here. Yeah, unload the Big Jim sports camper gear. Big Josh says, Bring the boat and fishing gear. And you know the dinner will soon be here. Big Josh says, Let's find some firewood. Now this camp is looking like a good camp should. Big Josh with Talking Camp Pack is sold separately. Big Jim sports camper comes with fishing boat and gear from Mattel. Now it's time for one of our feature segments, Toy of the Week. Each episode, we take turns looking at one toy or collectible in detail. They might be new releases or just some favorite items from our collection or maybe just something truly bizarre. And by fan-demanded <laughs> edict, we are returning to rapid-fire reviews this week. And each anchor gets five minutes to review an item of their choice. And Adam, we will start the clock and tell you go. Okay, so this week I'm looking at the Bandai Robot Spirits number 77, Evangelion 2, The Beast. So this is from, yeah, it's another massively long name, surprisingly, <laughs> for one of my figures. Um, this one's from um, the rebuild of uh, Evangelion, um, which I haven't actually seen the rebuild. Um, there's a apparently um, 
an episode where they they can't beat the angel that's coming in, and um, there's some code override code that someone puts in, and uh, the Evangelion busts out of its constraints and um, goes feral. So <laughs> that's what all the the pipes coming out of this guy are. There's these you know uh, apparently limiters that have been ejected from its body. The armor's broken off, um, which you can kind of see if you compare it to other Evangelion figures. Um, and uh, it's got a, a nice big feral-looking mouth, um, which is really good. So this figure's got, I don't know, ridiculous numbers of points of articulation. Uh, I'm not even going to bother adding them up. Um, it's got, you know, toy arti- uh, ankle articulation, toe articulation, knee articulation, hips. It's got uh, five torso segments, if you include the hips. Um, it's pecs are a point of articulation, so it's got, because of that, it's essentially triple-jointed shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got, actually, the, the elbow's a bit basic. It's just a straight backwards and forwards. It doesn't turn side to side. And um, just your standard kind of Bandai wrist, so you can move him around and up and down. Um, the neck is... Two is a segment that rotates, and then the head rotates on top of that, and the jaw is articulated. Um, I'm just trying to work out. I think you can actually, if you wanted to, you could turn the jaw, so you could lift the jaw open and then turn him sideways if you wanted to. So you could have the the jaw facing backwards. I don't know why you would. Um, so like I said, this is a, another Evangelion figure for me. Um, I pretty much bought this guy because I was looking at getting the Revoltec version, which is, um, I think it was maybe an exclusive or in other, in any case it was a lot more expensive than the average Revoltec Evangelion. Um, and saw this Bandai one and went, eh, well, you know, it's still going to look gruesome and horrible, so what's the difference going to be? I think on hindsight the difference is quite a bit. Um, like I said, it's got articulated pectoral muscles, which are just, ridiculous when you're trying to do a pose that has an arm out and suddenly the pec goes from looking like a pectoral muscle to standing upright pretty much like facing straight up in the air that looks a bit weird um the joints for the ankle and knee and i don't know if this is all the joints and it's only that you can see it for the ankles and knees oh no it seems to be only those um actually are hollow like they have a the joint has a hole through the middle of it, and you can see straight through. Um, and the paint apps are really, I don't know, they're really flat and really simple. So, I mean, you look at the other Evangelion figures, the Revoltech ones, and they actually look much more like a robotic medley kind of feel, whereas this is just basically flat, dull red plastic for the bits that are still armoured. Um and uh, I just look at it, and um, the the various limiters um, come on sprues. Uh, there's a couple that are built in to the shoulders, but there's another set that are on sprues um, that you have to cut free in the box, which I haven't done yet because I'm notoriously bad at that, and I have to get a sharp new knife. Um, and it also comes with uh, some little diorama pieces that I assume are meant to be buildings um, for you to have your figure stomp around on. Um, the other thing that's kind of a little bit off with this figure compared to the Revoltech ones is I think the Revoltech ones, the scale is much better. 
in terms of this guy is really tall, so he's taller than any of the Revoltech ones, and he's also much ganglier, um, which through the torso makes sense. He's not got armor on him. But 30 through, seconds. Yep, but through the legs, he's just, you know, anorexic or anemic or something. Um, <laughs> overall, out of $10, I reckon I give this guy about a 5. Wow. Five. Wow. That's a uh that's a that's a pretty harsh dolly rating. It is. I mean the redeeming features apart from being much cheaper than Revoltech and getting Excellent <laughs> is um that it's just, you know, I think it's it's kind of a fun figure because it is so articulated you can do stupid poses with it, but I think the level of articulation is what ruins it. Mm. At the same time. Does it have multiple sets of hands or just the one set? It's got a one set out, a swapper set out hands. So the ones that I have it are open palms, fingers out, and the other one is um, getting ready, ready to throttle you hands. Yeah, that thing is just bizarre. Yeah. That, I, that would scare me if I had it on a shelf. <laughs> It'd have to be across the room somewhere. Just imagine oh. if it had light up eyes in the middle of the night, you'd love it. Well, I'd be fine because my all my stuff's in the basement. I sleep upstairs. Uh. So, <laughs> well, I guess I am up now. And you are indeed. You, Mr. You, may, you may start, or whenever you're ready. Okay, I will start now. I am going to look back to 1983 with the GI Joe Jump. The, the jump stands for Jet Mobile Propulsion Unit. It's essentially a jetpack for G.I. Joe figures, the, the three and three-quarter figures. And it came out in the first line. There's a not only the jetpack do you get with it, you also get a little uh, power tube that goes to a gun that he holds and a like a launch pad that has like a computer console charging base for the jetpack, and then it's got some movable legs, and it's about three and three quarter square. Um, little landing pad, uh, pretty neat little thing. What I loved about this is I actually had it when it came out. It was a, a neat little thing because it was retailed, and I I didn't realize this. It was retail was three dollars originally. <laughs> Wow. But that was something that I think the original G.I. Joe line did really well. They had vehicles that were priced not only at that, hey, it's about the same price as a figure, up to like the Mobat that was, you know, obviously much more because it was motorized. But but this is a neat little add-on. And they used the jetpacks in the cartoon and in the comics quite a bit. But this version of it just made sense. You know, you had this little technical council where the, the jetpack would plug in. And it really, you know, it wasn't like like a lot of sci-fi. You just pick up a jetpack and you go. It, it made it seem like there was actually more to this jetpack than just, you know, oh, here's some straps, throw it on, and you're, you're ready to go. Um, that's the one thing I loved about it. I have, over time, lost the gun for mine. I have the little tube, but I don't have the gun. It was just a neat little little thing because it really gave you that sense of they thought out how this would work in the real world, not just, oh, here's a, a jetpack. And it, it has that military look. It, it's not, you know, 
all rounded off and finished off. It's got the little military markings on it. It says G.I. Joe and, and USA on it. So it, it, it's a neat little piece. Um, later on, it came with a figure, and it was it was at the um, came with Grand Slam, and at that time it was priced in around the four or five dollar mark. But the the original one's still my favorite because it it was in that lower lower price range and really, you know, I think that's neat that you can buy something for a figure at about the same price as what a figure was back then. And it's uh, it's also an army builder. Yeah, you could have multiples of these for sure. You know, that, that would have been, been really cool to have them lined up, you know, have six of them and, uh, you know, everybody ready to go on their little flight pot or, uh, flight stands, uh, ready to go. Now the, the adjustable legs, I never really got that as a kid because they, they didn't adjust far enough that it wouldn't really, you know, make, make a lot of sense. You could adjust them about, I think, a quarter of an inch, but, uh, I never had rough enough terrain in the carpet of my living room that that ever, ever made sense. I, I also love the fact that the original, the blueprints that came with those, if you're, if you're familiar at all with how these vintage GI Joe things were, they actually, the instructions on the back of them, they'd have a blueprint and they would say, well, this part of this is this and this part is that. And, um, just the whole package is just really well thought out. And it's, it's one of those things that really made me fall in love with GI Joe. Are they expensive on the secondary market today? No, not real expensive. They're hard to find complete. Um, a lot of times they won't have that little black tube or they won't have the gun like mine. Mine's in, in rough shape. I probably could redo all the decals on mine and and it would be fine. But um, they're not terribly expensive compared to some of the stuff. But I, I don't know that a lot of kids you know, survived with theirs just because there were some little pieces. The, the nice thing is it's also something that doesn't have batteries in it. It doesn't have any action features. It's just a, a fun little piece that, you know, works out well. And you're going to ask me for a dolly rating before I have to finish this up. I'm going to go with an eight. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, eight and a half maybe. They, um, I don't know where you'd really make any improvements. Maybe just a, a little more. Um, 30 seconds. A little more detailing on the council. But uh, other than that, I, I think it's just, it, it was, like I said, one of those things that made me fall in love with G.I. Joe. Have they updated it at all? Have they released anything similar? You know, they've they've actually used the jetpack in, in the recent lines and updated it. But what they've done is just use the jetpack portion where it would come with a figure. Um, that one of the A couple of the figures in the 25th anniversary line actually came with that jetpack. There was both a uh, a Joe version with Duke and a Cobra version, in, in molded in blue. But the actual little landing pad, I don't think they've redone um, since that vintage day. Mm. Yeah, which is too bad because I think that's a really neat part of it. You know what I mean? It, like I said, it kind of it makes it feel real, not just like oh, here's a jetpack, anybody can put it on and and yeah. fly off. It, it makes it feel like, hey, there's there's something here. Yeah. Oh, I've never actually seen that piece before. Like, I'm not a Joe collector, but I've sort of seen tons of stuff over the years, but I've never seen that piece. Very yeah, good. It's a, it's, a, it's a nifty little one. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that, that brings us up to you, Ben. It does indeed. And, uh, All right. Well, I, I guess shall... you can press start and, and you can go. 
I shall. I shall start. Let me uh, press the button on the timer. Um, I'm going to be doing the uh, Funko Pop Vinyl Star Wars Darth Vader uh, bobblehead. Uh, if you aren't familiar with these figures, then you probably live somewhere that is cut off from civilization completely because um, if we ever go the, 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 the route of small soldiers where um, toys come alive, then I think... Um, you know, I think Funko's pop vinyl is going to take over the world because there's literally billions of them. So this guy, I've actually had him for a little while. He comes in the, the standard pop vinyl uh, packaging, so that's the, the normal window um, box packaging where you've got the little sort of word balloon with pop and the exclamation mark, which makes it pretty clear. Um, you get uh, a sort of... Um, illustrated version of the character within. Uh, you can actually see the character quite clearly. The window on the box uh, actually curves around to the side, so you can actually look at the figure from the front and the side before making your purchase. Um, the box is actually very collector-friendly when you just sort of pop open the, the top or the, the bottom flap the interior, I guess, tray, you might want to call it, um, slides out. Um, it, it's quite clever. The tray is just a clear plastic doodad that holds the figure um, quite neatly, but there's a little extra feature in that on the top and the bottom of the plastic tray, there's sort of two hinged pieces that flip up and over. And so the, the top one just comes over the top of Vader's head and the bottom just goes over the base and it's enough to actually hold the figure in place. So there's none of those little annoying um, wire ties or the little, little you know, clear elastic band ties that we love so much. Um, so it, you can pop him in and out and put him back on the shelf. I mean, if you have the display space, one thing that does look fun is your pop vinyl figures all sort of stacked up uh, if you've been to a, a specialty store or somewhere where they sell these figures and there's so many licenses, seeing them all lined up is actually sort of quite overwhelming at times. So anyway, moving on to the figure, I mean, this figure, uh, Vader, it says that it's um, the back of the packaging, should I, um, I should actually mention, has uh, the Series 1 uh, characters. It also mentions that he's um, character number one, so you can see the other characters in the series. Now, this guy clocks in at three and three quarter inches, so he's about nine centimetres. Um, this is a bobblehead, so articulation uh, is limited to just one point of articulation, and that is the head itself which sits on sort of a spring these are those characters with the sort of um the exaggerated heads they're sort of the same size as the body um i mean it's a pretty fun rendition of vader it's got the usual sort of round eyes that the um the pop finals have um i can't say great deal on the painting simply because he's almost entirely black they've done a pretty good job on the little extras like on the um you know the the robot bits on his chest and his belt um they've sort of made an effort to use sort of blues and reds and silvers to sort of highlight that um the only real other real color of notice is um his lightsaber blade which is it's it's cast in a, a sort of pinky red plastic it's not translucent but it's not sort of solid either so it's not painted which is nice um, it is actually cast in that particular colour with a silver handle. Of course, he's got his little cape hanging down the back as well. Um, he does come with a stand, which is a, a little odd um, because he stands very, very well on his own, um, but he does have a little sort of custom stand with um, the Star Wars logo, etc. 
Um, the one thing I find odd about the bobbleheads is once you've bopped them on the head a few times, they never seem to return to the original starting position. So now my Vader's got this permanent sort of tilted, um, you know, look to him. He's looking up at the sky with a little tilt to the left-hand side. And uh, try as I might, I can't actually get him to return to that position. Now, these guys go for about $10 US each, which is, is not too bad, I guess. I mean, you're getting a fair chunk of plastic for your $10 compared to, say, a three-and-three-quarter figure. But I don't know, it might be fun if you just had sort of an extra two points of articulation in the shoulders, particularly sort of with the lightsaber being able to move it around. It'd be good. Um, but, you know, it's just limited to the one. And 30 seconds left. So, you know, he does stand very, very well. And, I mean, this is a, a fun figure. The only sort of real downside, I mean, I can't comment too much about the paint because there isn't much because of the nature of Vader. But one thing I do notice on the top of his helmet, um, all around the bottom part of his helmet, is you can kind of see the heat sealing, and so it's melted the plastic a little bit. Um, but other than that, it's not that easy to see. And I'm going to give this guy 7 out of 10 dollies. Wow, how is that for timing? <laughs> Cheated. <laughs> Those are kind of things you can have on your desk at work. I mean, that that's a it, it's Star Wars, but it's not, you know, toy collector necessarily. Yeah, it, it doesn't sort of scream, "Hey, I'm a nerd and I collect action figures, and here's some of my action figures from home." It could be just a fun thing, so. Um, I would be tempted to get others if I got to see them first. Um, I'm, as I said, I'm a bit disappointed about sort of the way the, the plastic was moulded. It looks like it's got a slight... Just when you heat up plastic and you, you sort of smear it a bit, and it's got that kind of effect. But, um, yeah, I'd be tempted to check out, you know, Chewbacca and, and a couple of the other characters. My problem with him is, and I, I finally figured it out, he looks like Stewie from Family Guy, the, the Stewie version yeah, of Darth Vader, because <laughs> his head's so wide. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, he's got that typical... I mean, some of the characters seem to translate better than others with um, the pop finals, you know, the, the Funko pop finals. Um, you know, Yoda is one in particular who seems to have translated quite well, whereas um, the Stormtroopers look a bit odd because they've got those those pop vinyl round eyes that are common to all of the figures, and that doesn't quite sort of go with the, the standard Stormtrooper helmet. So, yeah. Hmm. There you go. Good job. Good job, Adam. Good job, Ben. Good job. We'll wrap up this this session of the Rapid Fire Reviews, and when we come back, we'll be talking about the items we've added to our collection. X-Men Origins Wolverine. It's all about the claws. Now the unstoppable power of Wolverine can be in your hands. With Clawsome Wolverine action figures, the bad guys are tough, but the claw-popping superhero Wolverine is the toughest there is. X-Men, Origins Wolverine action figures and vehicles. Well, we're all here because we're hopelessly addicted. And feeding the addiction is where we take time to kind of touch base with each other and talk about what we got during the last week or so or last time we were on. So we'll we'll each take a turn here. And we'll start with Adam. What have you, you been acquiring over the past week? Uh, got a couple of figures today, um, some of which you'll hear more about shortly. Um, there was um, also the uh, ultra poseable Amazing Spider-Man three and three quarter figure. Um, I don't know that it's that much more poseable than any of the other Marvel Universe ones, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> and the um, Avengers uh, line scroll, the three and three quarter one. Um, just add him to my set. 
Uh, what else have I got? Uh, oh, yes, I got uh, my Spider-Man costume and my Batman costume. Um, <laughs> Yay! Yeah, they're kind of fun. Um, the Batman one's a little bit off in the, the face mask and the, the ears. The Spider-Man one's a bit off with um, general comfort levels in a couple <laughs> areas and um, the there's no spider on the back, but otherwise, yeah, sure, I just need to, you know, clearly hit the gym a bit more than I have. <laughs> um, and, uh, I've got my, um, my Plastimate order, um, which something weird happened the first time and I just got an empty envelope with a thing saying, your Plastimate has arrived. And then I kind of got back and said, well, where has it arrived? Uh, and it turned out it was meant to have been in the envelope. So no harm, no foul. They sent out, you know, the actual thing again. And I've got my Plastimate and started making bits and pieces for, um, Dragon Ball Z figures. For, yes. For I've seen them blasts. and they're cool. Yes. Yeah, they are cool. They so are cool. It takes a little bit of time to work out how you're going to do things, and you know it doesn't stay translucent after you heat it up. But it's good fun so far. I haven't made anything you know too complicated as far as intricate coloring and whatever like that. So it's good fun so far. Very good. Well, Ben, what have you uh, acquired during the past week? Um, yes, finally the uh, the sea turtle. Um got the uh, the right current and and turned up on our shores and i got my uh, infernal crisis uncle sam and constantine figures um pretty happy with both of them um i know there's been some comments online uh, some people haven't been happy with sort of the way the costumes were done etc but um look i think they're, they're both pretty good they're unique figures they're um universe builders they fit in nicely so, um, yeah, I was pretty happy with those. But something also uh, during the week, which was very, very cool, is um, a, a certain individual who shall henceforth be known as Adam um, was getting rid of some figures and I offered to buy them from him and he did me a most excellent deal. And uh, I actually bought um, quite a few Marvel Legends army builders from Adam. And so that was actually pretty cool because it was a package of six figures and they're all army builders. So it's, um, it's actually fun sort of getting them out and going, he, 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 I've got another shield agent and another hand ninja, etc. Um, that was really awesome, but that wasn't even the most awesome part aside from the, the super awesome packing that, that Adam does, which just, <laughs> just blew me away. <laughs> uh, everything was bubble wrapped and then bubble wrapped within bubble wrap, etc. But um, Adam also threw in a piece of the the Marvel Legends Sentinel, and uh, I was appreciative of that. And I thought, gosh, I really must get my act together and, and get all my loose Sentinel parts out to see where I'm up to because uh, I have a number of Sentinels already, and uh, and I'm always sort of on the lookout for more. But generally, I'll, I'll, I'll buy them off eBay complete if I can find them. I don't sort of hunt down individual um, pieces. And uh, so I started sort of rummaging through and found the, the upper torso and then some arms and some legs. And before you know it, thanks to Adam, I, I assembled another Sentinel. So thanks, Adam. Woohoo! <laughs> wow, well, good job, guys. Yeah, very pleased. I, I have an apocalypse leg. That's all I have. <laughs> I have one of those. I have a mostly complete onslaught. I think I'm missing maybe arms and one of the legs, but I've got a duplicate of the leg that he does have on him. I think I've got something else as well. I've got like a giant man hand and maybe a, a red Hulk arm or something. 
I'll be overhauling all my uh, my builder figure pieces soon. So I'll be if you're after builder figure pieces, folks, head over to the AFB forum shortly because I'll be sort of listing all my bits and pieces. Well, that's very cool. Yeah, that's that's something that you know builder figures are cool, but trying to find all the pieces can be problematic for sure. Indeed. Well, this week I uh, I bought something because I it's not that I didn't want it, but I, I was kind of just waiting for the right price, and I know I shouldn't do that, but I uh, I picked up a GI Joe Sky Striker, which, if you're not familiar, is the uh, F-14 style plane. Oh, very nice. Flew, they flew in the cartoon. Um, I think the MSRP is like thirty-eight. Um, the one I got was twenty-four. I think at Toys R Us, and I, I could have waited for it to maybe go a little lower. They had a couple of them, but I was like, ah, that's that's about ready. Um, I had been kind of keeping my eye out for him. The, uh, I've got some plans for it. I will probably review it as is without any decals on it. There are a ton of decals for it. Um, they, they did something cool when Katrina Arana was on, she was talking, she actually designed the decal sheet for that. And they actually, um, included four different like, uh, pilot names oh, and they've got okay. some different They've got yeah. some different decals, so you can actually option it out a couple of different ways. But they have like a, a little logo for Snake Eyes and one for Ace and one for Flint, so you can you can kind of customize it depending on which character you're going to put in it. So it's it's pretty neat. I haven't I unboxed the instruction and the decal sheet, but I I've left the rest of it in the box because so I gotta take some pictures before I take it out. So. Um, See, this is the reason I don't collect GI Joe is because of that that army builder potential. I could find myself, you know, getting easily sucked into getting multiples of the vehicles. Yeah, it, it's it would be easy to do, and they had like four of these there. I was like, oh, that's pretty neat. And I, I have some plans. This one's going to be custom for for something, and I, I don't want to say what it is, but. Uh, it's kind of a personal project for me, and I'll t- I'll take pictures and stuff along the way. But uh, we'll you'll you'll see it coming up. I'm sure I'll I'll post some pictures and stuff. But yeah, it was about the right price for for doing a custom. That's the other reason I kind of was waiting. Yeah, yeah, excellent, cool. Well, if you guys haven't picked up anything else this week, we will move on to everybody's favorite segment, red carded, where we uh we just say. Why the heck did you do that to someone <laughs> or something in the toy universe? What is this, bizarro world? Well, Red Carded is our chance to poke fun at the WTF moments in our hobby, be they unusual announcements, complete fail action figures, or just really horrible bootlegs. And handing out the penalty this week is Adam. So over to you, Adam. Thanks, John. Um, as I'd said earlier, I was, I've bought some figures this week, and I actually bought them today um, when we were out doing a, a, a lunch run in minor grocery shop. Um, so I we went to the, the nearby Kmart, and um, I was walking through the toy aisles, as you do, and um, I saw that there was an Amazing Spider-Man uh, three-pack, which had anti-venom, uh, Green Goblin and Spider-Man. I didn't really care about Green Goblin or Spider-Man because I've already got those. Spider-Man I've got ad nauseum. Um, so I was really after just the anti-venom. Um, so I, I picked that one up and uh, hadn't really paid a whole heap of attention to it that much while I was in store, apart from that, you know, there was some ugly-looking paint on the Green Goblin. 
And I got it home and uh, had a bit of a closer look, and then I opened it up. And my God, is it awful. <laughs> Start with Anti-Venom, who's actually the best figure of the lot. Um, I'm pretty sure he's just a, a repaint on there was a um, some kind of sneak attack or some kind of funny-looking Venom figure that they did in an earlier line of just the um, the, the standard Spider-Man three-and-three-quarter line. And it, it looks like it's basically just a repaint of that. Um, they've, you know, just anti-venomed the colours, so that's not too hard, no big issues, um, until you get to his accessory. He has clipped onto his right arm this thing that looks like a giant tentacle rape device. It's it's quite <laughs> seriously, like it's a, a bit of hard plastic that clips on and then a rubbery floppy thing that has a symbiote head on the end. And okay. uh, it looks, you know, if you didn't know that it was symbiote stuff, you'd say that's very a very veiny looking tentacle. Um, so that's just all kinds of disturbing. Um, the Spider-Man... <laughs> the Spider-Man has no waist articulation, no ankle articulation. He has knees, hips, shoulders, elbows, and wrists, oh, and head. Um, but this is, you know, I only got this today, and there's paint rub at the um, the armpit on the right arm, so that's fantastic. And uh, then you get to the Green Goblin. He's got a glider, he's got a pumpkin bomb, and he's got... A, uh, a satchel. The Goblin Glider is flatter than the Marvel Universe one, so it's actually, I guess, a bit easier to, to stand him on and pose him on. Um, the Pumpkin Bomb kind of sort of sits in his hand somehow. I'm not sure. It must be, you know, there's got to be a specific way you put it in there because I've taken it out and put it back in a couple of times. Sometimes it sticks, sometimes it doesn't. So there's nothing actually holding it in apart from, you know, probably a... Uh, a, f- a couple of micrometers of paint. Um, the satchel bag. Now, every time you see Green Goblin with his satchel full of pumpkin bombs, it's normally hanging around his hip, right? This one, the top of the bag is under his armpit. He's basically being strangled by this thing. Like, I don't think that's a practical thing to have when you're flying around on a Goblin Glider at, you know, probably a couple hundred kilometers an hour. Um... He's also got no ankle articulation. You can't rotate the feet um, independently of the lower leg. Other than that, his articulation is the same as Spider-Man, except his lower arm rotates instead of just his wrist. But the face on this thing is just awful. Like, he he looks like some kind of lecherous, drunk sex offender. Uh, I just... (laughs) Like, I expect him to be standing in a trench coat outside of a school saying lollies, children, lollies. Um, it's not cool. Um, oh, so, so he's like the Marvel Universe of Jimmy Savile. Yeah, pretty much. Except, you know, without the, the cover-up and uh, per- potential implications of various other London celebrities of the day. Um, and the colours are just awful. Like, he's day-glow green. The purple is hideous. There's no real detail on any of it. It's just, oh, yeah, we'll just put a bit of paint here and there. Uh, honestly, like, if, if it wasn't for the anti-venom, which is, again, the only reason I bought this this thing, you would be assuming that I'm talking about a bootleg set, right? But no, this is from Hasbro. So, Hasbro, I'm giving you a red card for this. 
Wow. Yeah. So are the Spider-Man and Green Goblin, are they existing figures or have they been tooled specifically for this three-pack? I assume it's just, you know, existing pieces because it looks, you know, similar enough to any other Spider-Man three three-quarter figure that I've got, just with less articulation. So it's a case of try and get it done as cheaply as possible to make the other two characters in the three-pack. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's a $20 set I think I paid for it, so that kind of tells you where it's at as far as price point. But See, that's normally what a three-pack would probably be here, so that that probably is telling right there. Yeah. Now, my understanding is you can only get this set in Australia. Really? That mm. is true. That did not come out over here, as far as I know. So who else wants one? People that need them, hit me up on the forum. I think we've actually and... got everybody that wanted one. Yeah, um, there you go. That's one now. There you go. So if anyone needs a, uh, a, a Marvel Universe-scale anti-venom, let me know, and I can go and get some more and send them to you and chuck the other two figures in the bin. <laughs> well, you, you've just ruined our, our scalping chances now, Adam. We could have been buying these up and putting them on eBay. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, well. We'll try and get the people that Fair don't enough. listen to our podcast. Well, after that well, well-deserved fail of uh, tentacles um, discussion, we're, we're going to move on to our discussion topic of the week. Anyone for turtle soup? Oh no! Raphael is in the clutches of the evil foot flesh torture machine! Will the turtle cycle make it in time? Will Raphael be destroyed by the retro-mutagen ooze? I don't know. What a shot! The double-barreled plunger gun saves the day again! And with their retro catapult, the turtles are giving the foot some of their own medicine! Anyone remember where we parked? From Playmate! Well, everybody, for tonight for our discussion topic, we are talking to James Chilcott from ShelfLife.net, and he's going to be talking about managing um, your collection and... Shelflife.net is a new collector's marketplace, collection, housing, buy, sell, trade, uh, kind of very collector-friendly site in a bunch of different areas. And we're really excited to talk to, to James about this and kind of learn the ins and outs. So welcome to the show, James. Thanks for having me, guys. Pleasure. No problem. <laughs> no problem at all. Um, before we like start these things, we always like to to talk to our guests about, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and and how, what you collect and that kind of thing. Well, I mean, when I was a kid, it was all about uh, Generation 1 Transformers, although we didn't call them that back then. We just called them Transformers. Um, I remember getting G1 Megatron uh, for Christmas, uh, probably the same year everybody else did, and don't think I've ever been that happy since in my life. <laughs> <laughs> That was a pretty good moment. Perhaps when I lost my virginity. But those are about, <laughs> those are about equal. The um, and but then when I was twelve, I decided I was too cool for all that, and uh, uh-huh. quite unfortunately, knocked all of my toys over the fence with a baseball bat. Oh, oh no! I, I I can't even point a finger at a ignorant mother that threw them out while I was at school. It was really all my fault. Um, wow. Do you still have then, nightmares about that? Yeah, regularly. <laughs> Did you get some good every, every time I Every time I look at the prices on shelf life. Uh, <laughs> nice. Did you get some good distance at least? 
Um, I, I think I did. Um, it certainly contributed to my, my sports career um, in the interim. And then, you know, in my, I think in my mid twenties, I, I had been running, um, we, our first business was a design and development studio here in Toronto called Advoca. Before that, we were running the Pulse New Media Development Labs at University of Toronto. And after I'd been in the design scene for a few years, I started to gain a completely fresh appreciation from a totally different angle on why Transformers were, you know, an iconic toy um, and why those characters were important in the kind of broader cultural context. And, you know, just started picking up some old pieces that I knew I had destroyed um, and not inadvertently. And, and in doing so, just kind of fell back into the whole thing. And then I felt a little guilty that I was spending so much money on it. So I started buying extra and, and bringing stuff back. We have family down in Ohio. I'm here in Toronto, Canada. There's a lot of stuff that comes out stateside that doesn't come out in Toronto or doesn't come out at the same time or for the same price. And that yeah, turned into a little side business, as I'm sure it has for many people. Yes, um, yes. Living in Australia, we can relate to stuff not coming out nearby. <laughs> It must be frustrating that the Philippines always has better product than you sooner. Yeah, pretty much. The um, so yeah, we, I mean, and I had other friends in in, in you know the, the design and development industry that were also collectors. And over the course of several years, we kept talking about how eBay was out of date and a terrible site, and everybody hated it. But there was no real alternative. And, you know, Wikipedia was great, but, you know, you can find information and then you can't do anything else with it. Yeah. Uh, And we have, you know, dozens and dozens of fan sites that fulfill the news function um, and in many cases provide great photography and some background on products. But it always blew my mind that we, you know, you have a community like Etsy that's been around for seven years that's predicated on, on, you know, yarn puppets people make in their basement. And, and that's a big deal. And yet, <clears throat> you know, some of the biggest consumer brands on the planet, you know, our beloved collectibles, you know, don't have that home yet. Um, the nicheification of that part of social commerce had not yet taken hold. And we were invited um, to participate in a uh, startup accelerator here in Toronto called Jolt um, early last year. And we knew right away what we wanted to do. We wanted to make the ultimate site for collectors. So that's what we did. Fantastic. And and so these days when it comes to, to your collection, uh, before we sort of move on to shelf life, what, what do you sort of focus on these days? Um, I've been spending the last several years pulling together <clears throat> a nearly complete uh, Generation 1 collection, so 84 wow. to 90. Um, mostly the North American releases, um, not so much the kind of bonus stuff they got in, in the UK and Europe and in Japan. Um, yeah. I have a pretty extensive three, a Ashley Wood collection. Um, oh, they nice. make some of, the best, some of the best designer robots on the planet for sure. Yeah. Uh, guys at super seven, um, and some of the friends in Japan, Japan that we met when we were doing research for shelf life hooked us up with a bunch of Japanese kaiju and designer vinyl. Um, so I've got several day full of that stuff now. Um, and we're big music fans over here. So, you know, we were down at Coachella last spring picking up all the kind of limited edition toy slash graffiti artists driven 
posters and T-shirts and what have you. Excellent. So Fantastic. As I'm sure is the case with you gentlemen, there's very little room in the house. Yeah, it does become a, a management problem, especially if you've got a, a better half. Yeah. <laughs> you can you can measure a woman's love by how many boxes of toys she'll let you keep in the house. Yeah, yeah that's actually not a bad uh, comparison. Yeah, I'll go with that. <laughs> See, that's not as much of a problem for me, but the problem for me, my wife is um, into Lego. So it's a case of how much of my stuff versus how much of her stuff. <laughs> and it's still all toys. It's just whose toys? <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to ba- I don't know how to balance that. I the only comparison I can make is with, with my better half. It's more about pairs of shoes versus Voyager class transformers. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess that would be a fair comparison. <laughs> So, so James, did you spend a lot of time sort of hanging out on the net? Are you one of those people who gets into the forums and, and debates uh, different versions of characters and their appearance in toy form and, and that sort of thing? I mean, to an extent, we've, I've, I've certainly spent some time on Cybertron.com, on TFW2005. Um, home base here in Canada is Cybertron.ca, um, Snowtroopers.ca for the Star Wars scene, um, and and I could go on for a while uh, along those lines, but when you work in 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 the web industry, you tend to spend less of your spare and social time online. And that was part of why we wanted to build Shelf Life was we felt like we were wasting too much time going to too many different sites, tapping a bunch yeah. of different resources, and having to cross reference. And I kept finding myself buying toys with twenty browser tabs open and slowing my machine down, and I couldn't figure out why that was necessary. <laughs> and so. With, with Shelf Life, we were trying to bring three distinct parts of the web together in one place and do it right. The first was the, the concept of becoming the ultimate resource and guide for every series of collectibles ever made. And, and we set this really kind of grandiose um, goal and laid it out on the table and stared at it hard for a while and said, yeah, this is, this is exactly what this should be. And then we tried to figure out how that would work, and what we came up with is that it's going to have to be community-driven. Um, yeah. Not only is the yeah. web moving into a more social model overall, um, but you know the the strong amount of fan-driven socialization, information sharing, tips, deals, sightings, all led us to believe that 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 was going to be the way to really empower a system like this and make the collectors that were using it feel as though. It was as much theirs as it was ours. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. for collectors, by collectors kind of attitude. Um, and so one of the big things we did was, unlike some of the other sites that are out there that are trying to approach this model, um, we track every single product down at the parts level. So cool. we don't we don't just know that there's a thing called Generation 1 Optimus Prime. We know that he's got 27 different parts, and eight or nine of those have variants. Some of them have multiple variants. And all of those relationships are tracked because we built a really robust system that could handle that. And what that yeah. unlocks is the potential to do something that no other site's ever done, which is to automatically match buyers and sellers the same way that the stock market does. So yeah. you can go in on shelf life and start managing your collection. You can add your wants and your haves. And then the system will automatically match those wants and haves with your counterparts on the other side, notify, notify both sides of the tra- potential transaction, and in doing so, you can kind of eliminate that whole problem of having to check eBay all the time to remember to bid on things. Yeah. Um, on Shelf Life, it's much more simple. You just go in and say, I want this. I'd be willing to pay this much for it. 
and the system takes care of the rest. Excellent. That's fantastic. All right. Well, I mean, step us through what, what users can expect if, um, if someone was to go and join up right now. Where do they start? So for a lot of collectors, this is going to be about managing their collection, doing basic research, occasionally buying or selling something. Um, and, you know, I think they're going to find that the tools we built for all of that are already very advanced versus things they've seen elsewhere. Um, and it's really just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we're just coming out of our acceleration period and we're working on getting our venture capital together for the next phase and expanding the team and building out, you know, mobile products and um, advanced sightings products. We're going to be building some uh, pretty exciting stuff around news aggregation and allowing basically tracking and comparing the things that you're collecting most often with the news feeds that the site is aggregating from across the web and and then kind of merging the two so that, you know, if we know you collect a lot of Optimus Primes, we can give you a news feed that promotes Optimus Prime related stories above others. Um, and you're certainly not going to find that kind of sexy new tech anywhere else. Yeah. So you have the opportunity to drive it, not just by character, but perhaps by company. If you were a, a big fan of, of Mattel and, and DC Universe Classics and Masters of the Universe, you could stream it via a company? Beyond beyond the, you know, the, the huge parts list, or the complete parts list that come with every product on shelf life. We also track something like 15 to 25 different attributes, depending on which catalog you're talking about. And so one of those might be brand equals Hasbro. You can click that at any time, get a Hasbro-specific search result that has all of Hasbro's products that takes into consideration what else you've been searching recently to try to reorder that in a sensible way. And then you can save that to something we call subscriptions, which allows you to kind of build your own personalized navigation system for the site that grows as, as your collection grows over time and avoids you having to dig down through the massive hierarchy structure that is exploding inside shelf life as the site grows out. Um, you know, as I said, we ultimately want to collect, track every collectible on the planet. We started um, pretty uh, definitively inside the action figure space. We figure we've got about something like... 60 to 65% of relevant action figures now covered in our catalogs, and it grows every day. Um, and the way that it grows is that we have this class of users that goes beyond the casual collector, um, people we call curators. And what a curator does is very similar, if you know listeners are familiar with what a Wikipedia editor does. Um, they take on an entire catalog the way that a Wikipedia editor takes on a topic, and it's their responsibility to ensure that that catalog that you know an example might be generation one series one transformers um that that catalog is as complete as it could possibly be and then the rest of the users once that catalog is live have the chance to vet that catalog by um, contributing what we call flags and the flags are basically commentary on you know an inappropriate photo was posted or the date of release on this is wrong or the, the pricing is wrong and what have you and then the, the curators are rewarded um, not only by having additional points in our Collector Wars program that I'll talk more about in a minute, but also because they get a cut of any of the transactions that take place in their catalogs. So um, selling on Shelf Life is about half what it is on PayPal uh, slash eBay. So instead of 12%, you're looking at 6%. So right away you're saving 50%, which is a pretty great improvement on margin for the vendors and not a bad deal for the collectors either. And so the, the curator is getting 25% of the, that transactional volume. So really shelf life 
takes away four and a half and curator takes one and a half and everybody's happy. Fantastic. Uh, we've certainly been referring to shelf life in the context of, of toys and, and sort of vinyl and that sort of thing, but it's more than just toys, isn't it? Well, I mean, we like I said, we started with toys, but ultimately this is going to include sports collectibles, sports equipment in the in the form of collectibles. So I've got friends who have, you know, the same way I have $100,000 worth of toys in my house, I have friends that have $100,000 in skateboard decks, Yeah, you know, mid-80s Powell Peralta, Tony Hawk stuff. Or music collectibles. We get we've had multiple multiple requests recently to add music to the catalog, so that's getting built out. Video games are getting added to the system. We've got all the Xbox games in there. We've got most of the way towards having all the PS3 games, and then we're going to go back through the eras of gaming. I mean, the the sweet spot for us when we draw the little Venn diagram of who we expect to be super friendly with the with the premise of shelf life is the nerds, the jocks, and the gamers, and <laughs> and. And those those of us that are involved in the project are kind of sitting in the sweet spot right in the middle, uh, being a little bit of all of those things um, and understanding enough about most of those things that, you know, we feel like we can provide a much better opportunity than the suits at eBay are ever going to come up with. Yeah. I mean, look, I have to confess that you, you, you sort of thought of categories far beyond what I would have considered. I mean, when I, um, noticed that, that you're even looking at, uh, at clothing and, you know, such as designer sneakers and things. And, you know, as someone who wears the, the same t-shirt and pair of jeans until they basically fall apart, it never even occurred to me that there are people out there who basically collect designer sneakers. And so being able to track those is pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, sneakerheads is a whole other segment of the collector's world. And really what we're talking about is there's this guy that, that gets up, goes to the flea market, buys some Transformers and a pair of Nikes, comes home, plays video games for a few hours, tries to get on, get it on with his girlfriend, gets told that he has too many boxes in the house, goes back <laughs> to the couch, plays some more video games, watches a football game, eats some dinner, and then surfs the web for a while. And, yeah. and I think that that's a guy that if, if, if you don't see yourself in that guy, then you know you very likely know somebody that you recognize in that in that parable. And you know, there's no such thing really as nerd culture anymore. I mean, it's there's there's mainstream culture, and and the things we grew up with is a big part of that. And and that's just the reality. I mean, when we go when we go around talking to investors, we're we're constantly educating them about just how big these markets are. I mean, there's 30 million collectors in the U S and Canada alone. I, I would guess there's something like three or 4 million more in Australia and yes. they're spending $110 billion a year. I mean, we as a community have a tremendous amount of power when we vote with our wallets and as in a community like shelf life that brings us all together and then connects us directly with the vendors and, and the manufacturers by, aggregating data about what we like and don't like is probably our surest, um, our, our most likely avenue of getting less bumblebees made. Yeah. Yeah. That's wrong. Because the, the more information that we can aggregate and pass back to the Hasbro's of the world that says you've announced yet another bumblebee, we are not impressed. Most of us have said we do not want that product. However, yeah. this other product you, you've made and put into that wave looks like it's going to do very well. And we can tell you that four months before it even hits shelves because the curator put it into the system a week after it was announced at Comic-Con. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I love that idea. I love being able to feedback to, um, you know, these, these companies just what it is that people are excited about. I mean, as it is now, a lot of the discussion is on the, the forums and, you know, very few of these companies are actually spending any time on the forums. So they're, they're not getting an idea of what fans are excited about. And, and when they do, they tend to respond to, they're very much in firefighter mode. If, if a fire breaks out and there's a real problem, they'll spend some time reviewing the situation and the, la- the, the squeakiest wheel may give them the wrong impression um, yeah. because they, they notice people getting upset. They're not as in tune with the positive aspects. And the reality is that, you know, a lot of collectors have somewhat of a skewed perspective. They think that it's a one-to-one relationship that collectors are the buyers and Hasbro is the producer and they should be doing what we want. They forget that even today, the vast majority of this product is bought by children and by their mothers in Toys R Us around the world and Walmarts and Targets and so forth and so on. And that, you know, we're, we're a piece of Hasbro's business, but we're not all of it. And, and the more we can do to help them understand the collector segment of their market, um, I think the, the more likely it is we're going to keep getting stuff that we really like. Um, yeah. And we're going to get more, get more of it. And, you know, the, the more of it that they make that we like, the more that we'll buy and then we'll get even more of it. So, you know, there are there are good paradigms that can be put in place if we, we, we unify in in our new secret tree board. <laughs> is that kind of how you view the site is, is a, a secret tree fort for for, you know, the, the collectors of the world? Definitely. I mean, e- eBay was started way back, you know late nineties and it was about beanie babies. So ostensibly that's a collector's site, at least in its origin. But <laughs> I think we can all agree that in the interim, it has turned into a very cold, impersonal, um, non-evolutionary experience that has not kept up with the times. And, you know, there's just no reason for us to be using antiquated technology when we have better technology that's available for free. Well, I think the difficult thing is also that the the eBay prices, um, the selling prices have just gone up and up and now the, the default way of paying is PayPal and so you end up paying again and again and again and, and you know, these days, um, you, you know, you, you find yourself listing an item and thinking, well, if I want to actually cover my fees, I have to start with an asking price that's actually considerably more than, than what it's probably worth. And, and it gets even worse when you, when you talk about eBay is actually before shelf life and, and similar sites were on the scene was even your, was probably your best option because Amazon's even worse. I think Amazon's 20 to 25%, um, which is why Amazon prices on transformers are almost never good. Um, mm. Mm. Um, and so, you know, anything that can, whereas, whereas Etsy is getting away with charging three and a half percent and they're going to do $700 million in sales on, on stuff people made in their basement this year. So, you know, clearly something is not right with that picture. And it's, it's about eBay having early mover advantage and all of the monopolistic tendencies that go along with that. And people have tried to challenge along the way, but in doing so, they mostly just imitated eBay, eBay's model. I mean, we all saw dozens of eBay clones appear over the last decade. Yeah. It takes a, a higher level of sophistication in terms of your architecture and planning to put together a project that's going to really meet the needs of collectors. And unfortunately, there are you know a lot of sites that 
that laid some of the groundwork. You know, Schmacks comes to mind as a site that was doing good things five years ago. They're pretty out of date now, but they, you know, they, they set some good groundwork for in terms of, you know, we need to be able to not just buy things we and, and research them. We want to be able to manage them. Yeah. You know, part of the, part of the biggest, one of the biggest problems for any collector is what do I actually own? Um, and how much yes. of it do I actually want? <laughs> and, and what are my opportunities for getting rid of the parts I don't want to make room for the new stuff I just heard about that I know I'm going to have to bring into my home, but where am I going to put it? Yeah. And so yeah. one of the great things about Shelf Life is that if we if we noticed that you were tracking you know Optimus Prime really heavily last year, but this year you haven't bought a single one, and we noticed that you switched over to some completely different brands, let's say GI Joe or what have you then we can actually start making dynamic recommendations saying, hey, we've noticed you're not collecting this anymore. Um, here's all the people that would like to buy those things that are sitting there collecting dust that you probably aren't playing with anymore. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. You know, so uh, so here's, here's how we can help save you time and make you money that you can then go spend on other awesome stuff you just heard about. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the knowing exactly what you've got, and uh, I love the idea of um, obviously being able to catalogue um, your collection, but the idea of actually being able to take it with you on your phone I think is, is a great idea. I mean, one of the things we're working on is, and this, this came straight from my own personal experience, um, you know, I'm sure we're all familiar with sightings, threads, and how exciting it is when a guy says the thing you've been looking for for ages just appeared at a store and then you realize that you're reading it Sunday morning and he put it up Friday night and the scalpers have probably long since gotten to that. Yeah, yeah. So, so inside Shelf Life, you have these profiles now and what we're working on for, for the spring is that you're going to be able to leverage your profile to build a circle of collectors that you trust and, and already have relationships with or that you develop as based on recommendations we make because you we've noticed you collect the same things and we're also tracking everybody has a home base inside shelf life that's used to calculate make shipping calculations and so we can use that to kind of say that this cluster of collectors is all within say 100 kilometers of each other and what that lets us do is that when we put out our mobile app you're going to be able to go to a toys r us scan a barcode say that you bought two of them and while you're doing that denote that there are by the way nine left on the shelf and that will instantly notify by email or text message or whatever uh, the other collectors in the area have requested. They're going to get an instant notification, which is going to blow you know sighting threads out of the water. Fantastic! Um, that, that's wow, amazing. that is yeah. very cool. I, I'm sold uh, on that. <laughs> and the, and the nice part about the the circles aspect of it is you can lock the the um, uh, the scalpers out of out of the mix completely. Well. Probably not completely because they're they're always going to find a way, but you can make it much harder for them than it is currently. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I certainly love the idea of um, you know collectors helping each other. And so I've got one question, and that is: uh, Is there any sort of geographical limitations? I mean, there's nothing more frustrating than getting on eBay and finding the item that you want for a price that you want, and then the seller won't actually ship to your country. We, we just wrapped up some code to support international purchases, um, meaning non-U.S., non-Canada, which we'll be launching very shortly, before the end of the month. Excellent. Um, the, the reason that that wasn't in place up front is it is incredibly complex um, yes. to build a system that supports um, every country to every other country. 
Um, especially when we have to, we're trying to do recommendations within the shipping profile system. So whereas eBay has a team of like 60 people that work on that stuff, we've got two guys (laughs) that that have to figure out how to optimize uh, the system and minimize the amount of time they're going to spend building that um, inside the context of the, you know, the budget and timelines that I lay down for them. So, you know, we've, we've done a pretty good job of getting that ready. We've got a lot more ground to cover this year, all, all sorts of sex, sexy stuff we're going to be launching. Probably the thing we're most excited about recently was starting November 1st, we launched Collector Wars. Collector Wars is basically a hybrid contest slash rewards program um, uh, slash access to exclusives um, deal that we've put together. And the whole idea is basically that you get rewarded for all the different stuff you do on the site with points. And if you are in the top 10 point getters in any given month, you get access to some pretty sweet prizes. So I think in in month one, we gave away a Masterpiece Soundwave. In month two, we gave away uh, an Encore Fortress Maximus. Wow. I think uh, this month there's some more Masterpiece stuff up for grabs. It might be uh, Lambor and, and Red Alert, perhaps. And, uh, and, and the prizes go down the chain. We, we try to put at least 500 or $750 worth of prizes up every month. And it's been a pretty fantastic way of generating a ton of activity on the site. The curators have been going crazy adding catalogs because doing curation activities is one of the best ways to build up points in a hurry. We had one guy, I think, got something like 1.3 million points in, in season two, which was December. Um, which basically means that his full-time job was curating shelf life for a little while. Wow, that, that's amazing. I and mean, it's, you know, the, the, the nerd culture, I guess, is, is such that there are a lot of collectors out there who, who naturally do that kind of work anyway. They find themselves um, cataloging you know, items or creating timelines. And so the opportunity to actually put that information somewhere and be rewarded for it is, um, is quite um, encouraging. So we're, we're looking at it as a way of we're building up a bunch of different mechanisms to provide uh, both recognition and reward, um, and it can take a number of different forms. I mean, we're, we're working on – can I say this? I guess I can say we're working on our first exclusives um, for the Transformers scene, which will only be available through Shelf Life. Ah, excellent. Uh, so yeah. you will – you will have to have a shelf life account to get access to this. We're working pretty hard to make sure it's something um, spectacular enough that you would care. Um, and we're also working pretty tightly with a bunch of different vendors to get them to sponsor Collector Wars on a you know monthly basis based on when they have products coming out. So a good example is we're talking to IDW right now about trying to put something together in the next couple of months. They've got that uh, the new premium. Uh, hardcover line of the collected Transformer graphic novels. Um, so there's going to be some interesting stuff coming down the road. We did our first toy exclusive was the OMFG uh, series one and two Blood Rage stuff that won the uh, award for best minifigures at the Designer Toy Awards um, in the fall. That sold out in about four hours, and we're pretty excited to kind of make Shelf Life the center of collecting activity in any way that we can, and certainly exclusives are going to be a big part of that. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, have you actually considered uh, a forum similar to the, the existing collector-type forums? 
The, the reason we haven't launched a forum yet um, is to not step on the toes of the forums that are the home of many of our, our shared users. Okay. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're trying to be as friendly as possible with all aspects of the industry. There yeah. are some people in the industry that see us as a, <laughs> a pretty scary threat. Um, <laughs> the, the site is new. It's, it's pretty sexy. It's technologically advanced and in some ways could replace some things that happen on PHP, BB message boards across the globe. Yeah. yeah. And so we think we've got a lot of other things to offer that we fill a different niche in the market. Um, and collectors already have a lot of great places to have open discussion with one another. So there will be discussion um, type functionality launched on shelf life for the next couple of months, but it's going to be mostly around the, the social circle. So it'd be more, more comparable to how you interact with your friends on Facebook than it. And, and it, in fact, it will be tied into Facebook and Twitter. Um, yeah. Yeah. and localized in the site, then it, then it would be comparable to a message board. Yeah, um, yeah fair we, enough. We do, we do, however, plan to launch kind of um, collector-driven FAQs and information sharing to make sure that anybody who's having any trouble with anything can easily resolve that. Um, but broader conversations will be curtailed for the time being. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I actually found I I actually joined up to the site earlier today when I I found out I was doing this uh, episode of the podcast, and uh, it was actually quite convenient. I I'm a collector of Mattel's DC Universe classics, and up until recently, I haven't had the opportunity to display my figures, and uh, that that opportunity came up, and so I was sort of getting them all out of their plastic storage tubs and filling the bookshelves and putting them on display. And I, I have this very large Ziploc bag that contains all of the accessories that the figures came with. And as I was putting the figures onto the shelves, I was sort of looking at this bag and thinking, I don't know what sort of half of this stuff belongs to. Like, who, whose gun is this? And it just so happens I had Shelf Life open on the computer from when I uh, created my account. And so I went in and went into DC Universe Classics, and it was actually fantastic because I was sitting there flicking between each of the characters to check out their accessories. Yeah, I mean, I use it all the time for my my G1 collection. And, and you know, some catalogs are in amazing shape. Others are going to need help from the community to get built out. There's cases where, um, you know, we have all the details about items and accessories, but we don't have pictures of them yet. And so one of the great things is anytime anybody puts pictures of their collection up, um, not only does that enter them in a sub-contest portion of Collector Wars where we give prizes out for the best picture every month, but it also um, helps you know, build out the content. So you, know, you put up a picture of something from your collection and it's going to help thousands of other collectors who might need that as a reference point when they're checking things out. Yeah, fantastic. How do the parts lists get built? Like, there's a map. When you sign up as a curator, you will encounter a fairly astonishing uh, depth of functionality um, when the curate tab pops up in the top right corner of the site. Um, it was actually the first set of functionality that we built, and it's the foundation of the whole project. Um, we couldn't very well have a marketplace or a social network for collectors without having the products, so we needed the curators to build the catalogs before we did anything else. Um, and so you go in and you set up a product and you define its attributes. And then 
for that product, you define as many items as are included, and you define what type of item it is. So is it an accessory? Is it a piece of packaging? Is it a piece of paperwork? You name it, you give it a bunch of attributes, and then you upload photos for all of the above. Wow. Um, <laughs> That's impressive. Essentially, though, if, if I'm looking for a piece for, say, one of my G.I. Joe vehicles, I'm missing a missile. I can go yep. in and say want, and then if somebody ever puts one up, they can, um, it, it'll notify me then. That, that's the great thing about having a parts list driven database, which is, you know, something eBay's never going to have. Um, because eBay doesn't know that two products in their system are the same product ever. They, they can only make that comparison based on semantic search, which means comparing how close the key phrases typed in by two users are to one another and the basis that they are in the same category. Um, whereas on Shelf Life, we know that that's the exact Batarang that you are missing for your, you know, classics exclusive Batman. Um, and because when you put in your want, you can define which of the parts in that product you actually want. So if you're just missing the missile, we can you can set that up and then you can say, I'll pay $3 for just the missile. And you won't be notified if somebody's trying to, to sell the whole thing. Um, and then the other real, really cool part of that is that, um, we can down the road, start doing some really interesting stuff like multi-dimensional trades. So you have four people in your, in your collector circle who all have ratings over four and a half out of five stars who are trustworthy guys. And the system proposes this crazy thing where user A sends some stuff to user B who sends some stuff to user C. D sends some stuff back to C and B, and magically A gets the thing he wanted that wasn't available in any other configuration. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I really need to get my collection up to today. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's pretty cool. I've, I, I don't have all that much time to be buying and selling myself, but the couple times I have, it's been a unique pleasure to simply get an email on a Friday afternoon because I set my, my notifications up weekly that said, hey, there's these two things you said you would pay 24 This guy's willing to sell them for 14 Press the button, do the deal. I like it. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, um, one of the other nice you... things is if, you look, if you're looking at a catalog, um, you know, we have this want-have interface that comes up when you press the want-have buttons. And it's really useful if you're adding in a few things at a time, but some users have been frustrated when they realized they wanted to enter, you know, 50 or 60 at a time. Um, so we built them a functionality called mass want and mass have. So if you're inside the deepest level of a catalog in the filter and search bar, you're going to see this little M show up. And if you click that, you'll see a, the whole thing turns to a text list and you can just check box off a bunch of stuff that you have, set it all to, you know, mint on sealed card, put in where you got it and what you paid for it. If you want hit a button and you can get, you know, half your collection logged in five minutes. Wow. <laughs> with um, one of the other aspects, I guess, that, that goes on with uh, the collectibles kind of world um, and that eBay is very useful for is customs. So is Shelf Life going to handle customs and how is that going to work? We have a big project for probably launching early midsummer called Ronin that will address customs very specifically. Um, and I can't speak too much about it, but I'll, I'll say this much. Every customizer in the planet is going to have the opportunity to have their own catalog um, of their work. 
And if their work was built out of pieces from other things, they'll be able to reference exactly where that came from. Hmm. Ah, I, I, that is actually something that, that I find extremely appealing because uh, as a customizer, I often look at other people's customs and if the person hasn't made too much of an effort to say, um, you know, what parts they've used, um, it, you know, that that's really attractive. If, if people are prepared to share that information so that you can immediately see what head they've used for a figure, um, that, that's very valuable. The other thing that we're going to be doing is allowing um, them to basically manage a storefront from within Shelf Life to try to unify the very wildly different approaches to selling online that the current crop of customizers have. Um, I've had some great experiences buying from their home-built websites and some not-so-great experiences, um, and it would be great if there was just one of a unified way to submit a commission to the top 20 transformer customizers on, on the planet and, you know, have them make bids on fulfilling it. Ah, excellent. Yeah. That, that's um, a great idea. And then, you know, to, you know, a lot of people will look at a custom and wonder, you know, what six things did that come from? So the ability to reference that in their, you know, specialized curation notes, um, is going to be pretty cool, I think. Um, and it, derives largely from the same functionality that we're building for the vendors so that they can take control of their catalogs because the deeper we get with these guys and the bigger we get, you know, when we had 500 pages, they weren't too excited to talk to us. But now that we have 75,000 and we're starting to outrank, you know, some of the biggest sites on the planet, um, now the conversations are getting more rich. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I was in a meeting, I was talking to somebody at Hasbro the other day, um, and I said, you realize we rank second if you search trans- some Transformer terms. And they said, no, you don't. We said, well, look up Mech Tech Mirage. And sure enough, we're outranking the, the corporate Hasbro sites. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and that's, that's all due credit. That's due credit to Kean Azabar and Nick Hoffman and Neville Witte, the guys on our team that have been you know, working 16-hour days for the better part of the year pulling this all together and, and keeping it virtually bug free. I'm actually, you know, I've been in web development for a long time. I've never seen a site grow this big, this fast and be this stable. So, so what does the, the future hold for you guys? I mean, are, are we going to start seeing you around or will we see you standing behind a booth at San Diego comic-con or anything like that? <laughs> we, we've been trying to get a booth at comic-con. The problem with that is that there's a two or three year waiting list. Um, oh, we do have, we have a little bit of an in where we, we may be there. We'll, we'll almost certainly be at all the stuff in our neck of the woods. So there's a huge Comic-Con in March here. There's Anime North in May. TFCon is the big Transformers convention in Canada. That's in July. Fan Expo is our version of San Diego Comic-Con, which also has 100,000 people in attendance in August. We'll be at New York Comic-Con almost certainly, which is in October. Um, so yeah, we're, we're out and, and socializing with collectors and, and, you know, we carry around iPads and let people log stuff they get at the conventions and, and fool around with the site. And, um, we're constantly, you know, we're sponsoring, you know, sites like yours all over the world, um, helping to get the, the word out there and just letting people know that there's just a better option and it's, it's for them and they have the ability to influence its future. You know, via Facebook, Twitter, and we have an open email policy, which you're never going to see at eBay. 
Um, you can email us at everyone at shelflife.net anytime you want and provide feedback, commentary, complaints. You can yell at us if you want to. Um, <laughs> Let, let us know what it is that you want to make this a better project, and it will probably happen. Well, that's just fantastic. Fantastic. Now, now let me ask, because I, I know people are going to be wondering, what is just a buyer, seller, or if I just want to log my collection, what what's going to be the cost to me? Right, so the entire site is totally free. The only time you any money ever changes hands in our direction is if you sell something, we have a 6%. Uh, commission, which is about half what eBay slash PayPal charges. And actually 1.5% of that's going to the curator that put in all the hard work to build the catalog that supported your transaction. Well, that's, that's a good deal. It's good to know it's free if you just want to collect and, and, and log your totally. collection. That's for sure. I, I don't think there's any other way to do it. There's, there's another company out there. Um, um, and their model revolves around a premium subscription to get upgraded functionality. Um, they're going to need to rethink that in very short order because the stuff we're launching this year for free is going to beat the stuff that they're offering people to pay for. So <laughs> yeah. um, I don't think that's going to last too long. Um, this entire industry has to move towards, you know, a 95% free model and get the bones to keep the, the project running from, you know, the power sellers and, and power vendors um, that, are all too happy to cut their expenses in half. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah. I I'm looking, I've got a, um, we were talking about build a figures a little earlier and I've actually got one of the Marvel legends build a figures up and you can see all the pieces and I'm, I'm looking at how you could say, well, I need this right arm and, and say, okay, this is what I need. And that, that's, that's pretty neat. Probably one of the, Probably one of the cooler things that we're doing that will fill in some blanks for especially the building block collectors. So I'm talking about Lego, Mega Bloks, Creo now on the Transformer side. Um, there's a lot of great database resources for those guys already. Um, but none of those resources are fully integrated into a project like this. And it's going to open up all sorts of really cool opportunities for them because what we're going to do is we're going to build a database of parts for Lego. So we're going to take the 86,000 different Lego parts and we're going to track them against all the different Lego products. And then if you're missing a specific brick, we'll be able to tell you the 37 different products that that brick could possibly come from. <laughs> wow. Which Adam, will... you suddenly uh, yeah, no, that interested. makes me makes me sit up. Um, <laughs> which, we, which we've got make... this... Oh, if I can just interrupt, we've got this um, model of our house that we've tricked up in um, Lego Digital Designer, and yeah, you can't get a lot of those parts even off of the Lego's picker brick. Yeah, because they they only they they focus on the kind of mainstream parts that that they know they can sell frequently. Yeah, that's right. Right. So I mean. We're not there yet. If you look at the Lego stuff that's on the site right now, let's say the Lego has a car and a driver, like a minifigure and, and then a car you build. Right now it says the items are minifigure and car. Um, but that's because we're still working on this fairly uh, massive database project that's going to support that. And really what it's about is making sure the curators don't kill themselves. 
because, you know, a curator for Transformers might have to put in an average of five to ten items per product. It's not a really big deal. You can get a whole catalog done in an evening if you if you put some time in. But as a Lego guy, if you're dealing with a 600-piece Lego set, <laughs> uh, that's not realistic. So first we need to give them this thing where they can go, okay, I, I need to enter 16 of a brick, which is... 16 pegs long and two pegs wide and it's fire engine red and we'll say here are the only four pieces that could be cool oh that's cool how do you go with lego with um making sure that lego don't get uppity and start saying uh copyright infringement etc etc because i mean i look at that I, i listen to that and i say well okay but you know lego have their exact brick ids and whatever else which you can go and look up if you so care um and they have all the information about exactly how many is in a set and whatever else like that. It's it, it's not a copyright issue. It's I mean, there's fair use yeah. laws in play across most of the, the world. And, and it's the same defense as to why a lot of the photos on Shelf Life are sourced from manufacturers, yeah. um, whether they've given them to us directly or not. If they release them as part of a press release or they're being used widely in circulation by vendors to sell products, then... Technically, they still they they could make a request and remove photos, yeah. but, but why would but why would they? Um, yeah. You know, we're basically we're building from the brand manager's perspective of these companies. We're building shrines to their product, and they're mm. third party validated shrines that don't ha- aren't dripping with corporate double talk. And you know, everybody we've talked to, at almost every company in the industry has said, <laughs> "Where do we sign up?" Like. This is our this is our social media department's wet dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, fantastic. I, I was looking at the Lego stuff, and under the the minifigures, they've just kind of, you've just kind of got a a blind bag and a, a box. H- how do you see the blind box, blind bag figures being listed in the future? Yeah, you've you've, you've got your finger on another hot button issue because in the designer toy world, like you're talking about dunnies and and monies and this kind of thing, um, you know everything's blind bag. So you have this really weird, I mean, this is kind of programmer speak, so listeners, forgive me while I digress, but shelf life is predicated on the fact that items belong to products. But when you're talking about a blind bag, the, the sealed version of the, of the toy is a box with a bag, and the bag has a random chance with 25 different options that each have a different chance of encounter. <laughs> Yeah. So you have to represent the product both in its sealed and open configurations and relate the two using ratios, which is a little more advanced than what we currently have in place. So what will end up happening is let's say that you had um, you know, the, a future catalog of, of Lego minifigures. You'll have the case. You'll have the package. You'll have... Um, each product that could have appeared in the package listed as a pro- both a product and an item, and it will carry a dual identity depending on the context by which you are examining that object in question. So if you're looking uh, at a product page for the case or sealed package, then those minifigures will be listed as items with a potential ratio of appearance. But if you're looking at the item itself, it'll simply list it as a product. Because our, our argument is that you know, a minifigure that's been opened has a, a a shelf life, as it were, on the secondary market unto itself. That makes and then sense. the whole thing gets and the whole thing gets a little more tricky because you know I'm sure you guys are aware that they 
frequently put numbers on the bottom of those packages so that you can interpret what's actually in them, in which case you can be much more definitive about saying there are six different versions of the closed sealed package depending on what numbers printed on it. So I know, for instance, with the with the Creo minifigures, the new the Decepticon set that came out a couple months ago, um, you can identify them very easily based on a six-digit number. So I, I walked into a Toys R Us and picked up a Spinister and a Scorponok without breathing too hard. Mm. Mm. Well, that's good because I normally don't do it that way. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, well, this is really exciting. Um, I, I want to thank James for, for coming on some more. Is there anything else that, that you see in the future that you want to tell us about, James? Um, we've got all sorts of exciting stuff that's coming up. Um, probably the best way to keep on top of what's coming and to kind of influence what comes first is definitely to get on the site, start using it, um, get your collection in there, participate actively in Collector Wars, uh, catch us on Facebook and Twitter and talk with the other people using the site, and get involved. You know, certainly if, if you've got some time and you really want to be on the ground floor of something, you know, truly definitive for the collecting community, consider becoming a curator because, you know, some of the really great catalogs have already been claimed, but there's tons of room left um, for exploration. If you've got some, like, major Matt Mason stuff from the 1974 that you want to get up there, um, or you've heard there's a product line that's only being mentioned in whispers that's still six months in the future, um, you know, we'd be happy to have you on board. Well, that's, that's good to hear, too. Yeah. Fantastic. And, um, Adam, Ben, do you have any any other questions? Uh, I don't, actually. Um, I've been playing with the site a little bit and started adding my, my DC Universe classics, so I'll, uh, I'll just keep going and, uh, yeah, eventually probably throw some feedback. Yeah, I think I'm quite happy with looking at this some more. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, mean, I just want to... One of the things I like the most is that, you know, as as much time as I spend in this industry, I don't, you know, you can't hold everything in your head. And every once in a while, I trip over some product line on here that I've never even heard of before. And then I'm like, wow, that's cool. Or, you know, the other day I, I bumped into something I had as a kid that I that literally had just fallen into my head. Uh, sectors. I don't know if you guys had those down under. They were like uh, these insect creatures that got like kind of He-Man-ish figures rode around on their backs. And there was like uh, a giant furry tarantula. And... Something's ringing a bell. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hadn't seen them in literally 20 years, but um, I found them on shelf life and bought a couple <laughs> the next day. Excellent. So, I mean, yep, you guys are all there, right? I'm sorry. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Oh, well, um, James, I want to say thank you so much for, for coming on. I, I, I think that we'd like to probably have you back at some point, you know, as you're announcing new things for the site and, um, kind of, kind of tell us what's going on from time to time because, uh, it's very exciting and obviously we want to help you spread the word as much as possible. So, um, thanks again. Indeed. Thanks thank very, much, very much, guys. And, uh, we, we look forward to bringing a bunch of users on board from, uh, down underway and, uh, Get you guys contributing on the site, and uh, certainly reach out to us anytime you want to have a chat. We'll yeah, do. We'll, we'll do that. Thanks very much. Take care, Thanks guys. Bunch. And that wraps up our, uh, our our talk with James, and we'll be right back with some feedback. Mego presents the Planet of the Apes action figures. <laughs> Doctor.
Dr. Zaius, the orangutan scientist. Cornelius, the archaeologist. Zira, the woman scientist. The soldier eight. And the astronaut. All Planet of the Apes action figures sold separately by Migo. Well, before we finish off, we have some feedback from our listeners we want to share with you. If you have any questions, concerns, comments, or suggestions for future episodes, uh, please email us at podcast at actionfigureblues.com, and you may just hear it read out on the air. And Ben, you have our feedback tonight, so please uh, expound upon us. All right, indeed. Thank you, John. Uh, Our first one comes from Mary, who is also known as Mrs. Hyperion. Uh, Hyperion, good friend of ours from the AFB forum, etc. And you might remember him from our discussion on superhero drinkware. Uh, Mary sent us in an email saying, um, hi, listen to the podcast today with Hyperion. And one, yay to Ben for winning. It was also the funniest one I've listened to so far. Uh, You're all doing a great job. This is Hyperion. And I did not add that bit about the Ben winning. That is all indeed Mary's, uh, Mary's writing. So uh, thank you very much. That was uh, in relation to the uh, second AFB quiz, which yours truly uh, you know, picked up the title. Uh, have I gone on about that too much, guys? No. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, very good. Thank you, Mary. And uh, our second piece comes from Bob Bird. And Bob says, do you think we'll ever have a call-in episode so I can call in and rap with you guys? Interesting question. Um, that's something that we have been talking about. Certainly one of the things that we would like to do is um, start accepting questions from people uh, that they've actually recorded. So we can actually play your um, question out on the air if you're willing to record your question or, or comments as a sound file uh, and email those through to us. We'd love to be able to do that. Um, the call-in episode is, is an interesting one, given that um, the huge time differences we have um, between uh, our, our various hosts, um, at the moment we have a 16-hour gap and it can actually make it quite difficult. So even just sort of lining up a time for someone to call in can be a bit of a logistical nightmare, but uh, certainly something that we'll, we'll be looking into. Okay. Well, thank you for that bit of feedback. Yeah, it'd be fun to do a call-in episode sometime. Well, gentlemen, it looks like we've came to the end of episode number 47. Congratulations. We're really coming up there on 52 here pretty soon, right? Or 50. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty exciting stuff. Um, You'll be able to download future episodes of the podcast by going to actionfigureblues.com. And clicking on the podcast tab, or you can go subscribe at iTunes. If you go to iTunes, though, you know, stop, take a minute, listen, and then uh, go over and leave us a review and a rating. It really helps other people um, find us in the iTunes big catalog of things. Um, <laughs> while you're at actionfigureblues.com, you might want to check out some of the reviews, articles there. Um, there's some really great stuff, some cool pictures and such. But perhaps you want to go visit. Some of our sponsors like shelflife.net, Mike's Comics and stuff, and popculture.com. Hey, they keep the, the lights on and keep us bringing you this great show. So um, make sure and support us through that. And when we're not blo- blogging, podcasting, doing other hobby related things, you can find us all at the Action Figure Blues Forum at afbforum.com. And over there, you can find Adam, who posts as Westy, 
Ben, who posts his fish milkshake, and I post his engineer nerd. We'd love to hear from you for any suggestions or comments for future Toys of the Week or discussion topics. If you have an idea, send it to us at podcast at actionfigureblues.com. Or really, come over and join the forum. There's just a lot of fun there, and we probably get a good portion of our ideas from from just forum chats and things. So uh, come on over to tell us there. You can also follow Action Figure Blues on Twitter, of course, at AFBlues, and come over and like the Action Figure Blues page on Facebook at facebook.com backslash actionfigureblues. Well, gentlemen, it's been a good evening. We had a, a, a great discussion and um, just a lot of fun tonight, I think. Indeed. Indeed. It's a good time. And I, with, with that, we will say good night and goodbye. Good night, um, Argentina. Don't cry for me. Have a good night. <laughs> Bye. 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 Play with your toys, not with your dog's toys. Wear your pants. Outdoors only. <laughs> night. <laughs> <laughs>